just say two things very quickly before we start our scripture reading this morning. First of all, I'd like to say good morning to Dr. Galster. It's good to see him here today and what a joy it is to, to see him and have him be a part of our services this morning. Also, I want to welcome a brand new couple here today. Wayne and Katrina King, would you stand up? Amen. Today they are celebrating the eighth day of their marriage. <laughs> Praise God. We rejoice uh, with you, Wayne and Katrina, and uh, look forward to having a reception coming up this Saturday. Get more information for that. Um, just, just, ask, uh, just ask one of us afterwards. Saturday here at the church. All right. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in... Exodus chapter 13, as we continue our study through Exodus. So would you turn there with me? And as you turn, would you please stand? If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles that you can use throughout this service. Just raise your hand, they'll bring a Bible to you. Exodus chapter 13 is the passage that we'll be reading this morning. Please remain standing and quiet, respectful during our time of reading God's word. Exodus chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No, leaven, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at, at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. 
For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, with all the firstborn of my sons I redeemed. It shall be as a mark on your hand and frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let the, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Amen. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read and be preaching through this morning. If you would, please remain standing. We'll have a word of prayer and then our choir will come for special music. And after the singing by our choir, the preaching of God's word for today. So please remain standing with me. Let's bow in a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for this time to come together. We thank you that you have brought so many here today. And I pray, Lord, that we'll give attention to your word. We'll hear what you have to say. And your Holy Spirit might give understanding, challenge, encouragement, rebuke, and instruction and direction from your truth to guide us in our walk, in our lives. We thank you for each person here today. We thank you for the marriage of Wayne and Katrina. And we thank you for um, just the blessing of putting that family together and connected the way you would have them to be connected. Thank you for that testimony that they have and pray that you would bless them, honor them, and keep them to commit themselves to these vows, to you, to, them, to each other, and, and may we as a church and family support and encourage their relationship in you. We thank you now um, for this time to hear your word. We pray, Lord, we give our attention to it, that you would bless. You would um, watch over those who are sick amongst us, Lord, and some who are not here, and, and some who uh, I think of my son and, and Michelle and Jeremy as they celebrate their anniversary today you might watch over and bless them. We pray for Jackie Holden. We ask that you would watch over and bless her. We just pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We continue our study 
in Exodus, find ourselves here in chapter 13, and the outline, or excuse me, the title that I've given, or that's actually laid out for us here, is Remember This Day. Remember This Day. We have memorials throughout the year, which is a time for us to remember a special time, a special day. God had given Israel and appointed them a memorial to remember this day. They were to remember it and to celebrate it. In fact, God starts now, even at this part of their history, where they were just now experiencing it, he says, this thing that you're going to experience, I want you to, to remember it for the rest of your history. We're going to see how, first of all, talk very simply, what is it they were to remember and how were they to remember it? The what is very clear. They're to remember God delivering them from slavery. They remember where they came from and what God had done to bring them out. They were to celebrate God's power in delivering them from this slavery. Now we know that the word of God teaches and gives this history to us for a reason. And there's something that is pictured in each thing that they do and each thing that they celebrate that is even greater than the thing that happened. The thing that happened is this. God delivered his people from an oppressor who had enslaved them for 430 years. What's greater than that is God delivering each one who trusts in Jesus from the oppression of Satan and sin and delivering us who have been in that oppression, mankind, since the start of history. And he has delivered us from this sin and delivered us from the judgment of hell. And he wants us to remember that for all of history. In fact, when you jump ahead and look in the book of Revelation, you'll find out that they'll be worshiping. And one of the things that they worship and praise, it says, glory to God and glory to the lamb that was slain. Remembering what Jesus has done for us will be something that we will think, worship about, praise God about, not just here at church, but for all of eternity. We'll be remembering that. So we'll see how Israel was remembering that. Let's take a look at several symbols that are given here and the meaning that we are expected to get from it. In verse 3, it says there, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. One of the first symbols there is Israel as a slave. Today, we don't like to talk about slavery or even remember it, but we need to remember. 
We need to think, we need to reflect on the history, and in particular here, the history of the people of God, the Israelites. They are delivered slaves, and what does that speak of us today? Represents us, those who trust in Christ, as redeemed sinners. The Bible says when we are a sinner, we are a slave to sin. And when God has redeemed us, he has purchased us, brought us off the, 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 the market of sin so that we will no longer be used and abused as Satan's instruments and slaves, but that we be free now and purchased by God and serving him. So the picture there is a slave Israel, and it's representing the redeemed sinner today. Pharaoh is a picture of the oppressor, and he's represented as Satan. He's a representative of Satan, who's the oppressor of God's people. The Bible calls him several titles and several names. Um, he is the one who's the accuser of the brethren. He's called the wolf who comes to destroy, comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Um, he, he doesn't do anything good for us. So the picture of Pharaoh is a picture of that. Egypt was the land of slavery. That represents the world of sin before we are saved. That it all works together. <laughs> Pharaoh working in his land, the people of Israel were working for that land. Everything they did was just for something else, and they, they gained no or very little benefit from it. When we are in this world before we are saved, we're doing all, we're going through our, our whole life. Uh, it's like a gerbil on a treadmill, getting nowhere fast. And that's how we do before we come to know Christ. After being freed, the people were to journey through the wilderness before entering the promised land. Several pictures given to us there. The journey, the journey itself, is life after salvation. It's pictured by as a journey, which, which tells us that some things that we should expect. It's going to be difficult. It's going to have some challenges along the way. The wilderness that they go through, that they're journeying through, is this world of sin after salvation. You see, once we're saved, once Christ has, has come into our lives and has changed us, we still battle against the world that, that pulls at us. Then there's the promised land. The promised land is a picture of heaven. It's a picture of of us headed towards the goal and having a final victory. There's a means to victory and success. The people of Israel were expected to, to live and walk by faith. They were expected to follow God and trust in him. And so that's a picture of us as believers, how we are to live. We are to listen to God, follow his direction. The, mean for, the means for deliverance is a picture. We see in, in, in verse 3, I want to look at a couple different verses. It says, about the middle of the verse, For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. 
The means of deliverance is God's mighty hand. Look again in verse 9. It says this. It shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. A strong hand. Look at verse 14. And when, the, and when in time to come your sons ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. By a strong hand. Again in verse 16. It shall be as a mark on your hand, as frontless between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. There's an emphasis here on the strong hand. A couple things let's, let's take note of. It's, it's God's hand and not Moses's. God did deliver by Moses' might. He used Moses as a leader, but he didn't deliver by Moses' might. In fact, he reminded Moses, look, you're going to go in and you're going to order Pharaoh to do this, but he's not going to do it. Because I'm going to come in with my strong hand and make this happen. It's God's hand that brings deliverance, not Moses. What are we to learn from that? Is that it is God, not a strong spiritual leader. I don't save anybody. Neither do you. It's God's hand. The good thing about that, you see, if I saved you, you would say, praise God for, for, for Pastor Brian who saved me. Now, what if I stumble and fall? Then your, your salvation is somehow in jeopardy. But the one who saves you will never stumble nor fall. And, 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 and you can count on him that he saved you that he will complete the task. We'll get back to that in a minute. But it's God's hand, not a strong spiritual leader. It's God's hand and not Israel themselves. In other words, you and I are not saved by our own effort and our own doing. It's God's hands. It was God's idea to come. It was God's idea to bring them out. And it's his power that brought them out. You're saved, you're saved the same exact way. Not one of us can reach around and pat ourselves on the back and say, good job for saving yourself. It's God's hand and his power that's required. Then another thing to be emphasized here is God's hand and not any foreign nation. They weren't to call on their friends and their family and get enough support and get political pressure to bring them out of slavery. It wasn't going to happen that way. It was going to come by a mighty hand. They had a mighty oppressor, and he wasn't going to relax anything unless God made him do that. So Israel is to be reminded, they're to celebrate this, they're to remember their deliverance came from God. Each one of us who are trusting in Christ needs to recognize that our deliverance comes from God. You need to repeat that. You need to instill it within your mind. You need to practice it daily. Remember that your deliverance came from God. Another thing is pictured here. And that is the very promise of God is emphasized. It's emphasized in verse 5 where it says this. 
And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you. Notice that? God swore. In other words, God made a solemn vow and promise that he would give his people this land. This is God's promise. God is going to fulfill his promise. Again, in verse 11, it repeats that same message. I want to read there. When the Lord brings you into this land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you. In other words, God made a promise. God does not ignore his promise. He makes one, and he is certainly going to keep it. Also, I want you to notice something here in verse 3 and verse 5. When God makes a promise, look, look at the dual fold uh, commitment in this promise. In verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. God brought them out. By a strong hand. Look at verse 5. It says, when the Lord brings you into the land. In other words, God delivered you. God brought you out from slavery. God will bring you in to the land that he promised. That's his promise. That's a commitment. Let me say it again. For those whom God saved from sin, he guarantees that he will usher them into the promised land, into heaven. There's a one-to-one correspondence there. Everyone that he saves, he brings in. He promises that he will do that. We're reminded of God's promise again in this chapter in verse 19. In this way. It says, This is as they were leaving the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you should carry up my bones with you from here. At this point in in history, this is 430 years ago, that Joseph believed God, and he asked his people to remember God's promise when God fulfills it by taking his bones from the land of Egypt with them and taking them to that promised land. Joseph had lived in the land of Canaan, or at least sojourned around it, and he was brought into the land of Egypt initially as a slave. He grew up to be a a ruler in Egypt with Pharaoh, And he rescued his people from the famine uh, by being ruler over Egypt. And he told his people, look, God told you to come down to Egypt, but you're going to one day have victory in God. You're going to rise out of this place. When you do that, take my bones with you. What faith he has. He says, I may very well die in this place, but God is still going to keep his promise. You notice what he's saying? He says, I believe God passed my lifetime. Past my lifetime, God is still going to keep his promise. God is still going to keep his commitment. 
What a blessing that is. I realize as a father and as a grandfather that I can trust God even past my time. I'm not able to accomplish all those things, but God is able. He's not limited by time or by power. He doesn't get too old to accomplish something. Joseph said, look, I promise you God going to keep his promise because that's not based on me. It's based on him. And when he does, I want you to take an act of faith and bring me out. <laughs> bring my remains out. I don't want them staying there because I trust in a God who has promised me and will fulfill that promise even if it's 430 years later. I want you to look at some of the symbols in their memorial celebration and what they mean. The first symbol that we come up is the symbol of the firstborn. In verse 1 and 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. The symbol of the firstborn, God had commanded them to use this firstborn as a means for worship and sacrifice and to remember what it is to mean. What is the significance of firstborn? Well, let's look through in verse 12. It reminds us this. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Goes on to say why they were to do that. If you look at verse 15. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Very clearly, he's just saying there, we're going to acknowledge the firstborn and give that over to the Lord. For those that are animals, we're going to sacrifice or redeem one animal for another and sacrifice that. Or if it's a human being, we're not going to sacrifice a human being, but we're going to acknowledge that that one is given over to the Lord. Now, what's the significance of this? Firstborn speaks of first in priority or precious or significant. It also speaks of, so, so, so think of it this way, a firstborn, your first child has, has a certain place in that um, in this relationship, the first one born, that means it's of great significance to you. This is a start then of your family. This is an indication of the blessing that God is pouring out to this family. It's also representative. If it's representative. It's symbolic of the best of the whole group. It's symbolic. And representative. It is to be a substitute given in the place of. In the place of what? The firstborn was representative of God's judgment to Egypt 
and God's salvation to Israel. How, in what way? God could have destroyed all of Egypt. He could have put down every single soul, human and animal, in Egypt if he so desired. He said, I'm going to give you a little sprinkle of my power, a little sample of my judgment. I'm going to just take one from each family. We talked last week about how significant that would be if that was to happen in this city of Milwaukee. We would see balloons and stuffed animals, not just on every other block. We would see that at every house, representing somebody who died. That's pretty remarkable in terms of the impact on a community, but that's still just representative. God is saying to Egypt, look, don't play with me. I mean business. And I'm just going to give you a little sample of what my judgment looks like. I'm just going to take one from every family to let you feel what my judgment looks like. So that firstborn was representative. It was also representative in Israel. God is saying, my judgment is coming on Egypt but I'm going to deliver Israel, my people, from that judgment. And I'm going to reserve their firstborn. You see, the firstborn is representative of the whole group. God says, I could have slain all of Egypt, but I have delivered all of Israel. I haven't saved just their firstborn. I saved every last one of them. I've delivered from death because of the representative of the firstborn. Jesus Christ is a representative of the firstborn. He's representative in that he is first. He's preeminent. He is significant. He is precious. He has highest priority. He's representative of the best of the whole group. God required that the best of the first the most important of the whole group, give his life. The Bible says Jesus is the last Adam. Adam represented the whole human race. Jesus came to represent the whole human race of those who would trust in him as a representative to them who would take on God's judgment. This firstborn pictures our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who stood in our path, took our judgment so that we would be delivered. He represented all who trust in him. The Lord required an offering of the firstborn of Israel as a sacrifice to symbolize a mere portion, or that was the mere portion of the whole. Jesus is that sacrifice of God that represents all who trust in him and brings salvation to them all who trust in him. First in importance. First in significance. First in value of being precious. First as a representative of the whole of his people. And he acts as a substitute 
for their judgment. He's the firstborn. So they were, they were to celebrate and remember this firstborn. And their sacrifice was to be of the firstborn nature. Their children that were born, that were firstborn, were, were to be celebrated and they were to be given over to the Lord. They weren't to be sacrificed, but they were to be dedicated and committed over to the Lord. They represented Jesus Christ. Another symbol that we see in this chapel, in this chapter, is the symbol of unleavened bread. The symbol of unleavened bread. In verse 3, it says this, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Now, it goes, jumps right to this thing about leavened bread. Last week we talked about what the leaven meant. The leaven was the yeast that you put in bread so that it would rise and can be baked and eaten. The whole point of the leaven is that they did not have time for bread to rise. They were to eat in haste because they had a job to do. They were to eat in a hurry because they were leaving immediately. I call it this, action with a purpose. They were not to eat casually. You know, we, we, we like to eat and have a relaxed atmosphere and talk and share and spend a lot of time together. There's time for that. In fact, that, that time uh, will probably be in these days of celebration where they reflect on what was to be done. But in the day that they actually left Egypt, they were in a hurry. They, they walked with purpose. I, I tell our young men today, walk with a purpose. We like to do what I call the old country name is mosey, you know. We get from one place to the other. We just taking our time. Ain't really got nowhere to go. Means you got nothing to do. You got no purpose in mind. You just hanging out. That's not the thing of God's people. He says, you got something to do. I got a purpose for you. Walk in that purpose. You ought not to be just mindlessly living life, not knowing what's going on, not knowing what it is you ought to accomplish. Our children ought not to be just mindlessly going about whatever they go about, not knowing what it is they are to be doing. God said, eat with a purpose. Eat in a hurry. Because it pictured that day that they literally left Egypt, that they were grabbing their stuff, and they had to eat, they, 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 they didn't have time for all this food, to, to, to all the bread to be leavened, and so they ate it before it could be all fully arisen, and they were in a hurry. They had a purpose. I think sometimes we might do a little bit too much of that with all our drive-throughs and, 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 and the way that we eat. I'm, I'm, I know I'm very guilty of that. But the idea is right, is that we don't have time to linger. We don't have time to wait. We have a purpose in mind, and that is marching towards the victory that God has for us. 
progressing towards the goal that he has for us. We're not staying in Egypt. Remember one of the greatest sins of Israel is when God was delivering them in the wilderness and they wanted to go back. That's not part of God's program. It's for us to linger in the world that, that oppresses us. We are marching towards, we, we have a goal, we have a purpose in mind. Do you know your purpose? Do you have a sense for what God wants you to do? Are you actively involved in following the Lord? Are you purposefully living? If you're not, you're wasting time. Find out. Look at God's word, listen to his word, and find out what his purpose is for you and get involved and get busy on that. Ignore everything else and get focused on what God would have you to do. The last thing I want to look at here is God's guidance and his direction promised to his people. In verses 17 through the end of the chapter, we see another symbol there. It's a symbol of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. What does this symbol mean? It means that God is going to lead and guide and protect his people everywhere that he sends them to go. Let's look at it. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war. And return to Egypt. What it's saying is, when they left Egypt, there was a short route that they could have gone, but God didn't lead them there that way. The short route would have taken them through the area of the Philistines, and they would undoubtedly have encountered war. And God says, I'm going to protect you from that. Now, I want you to think about it. God protects them from what would devastate them. But he leads them through a wilderness where they do encounter many challenges. What that tells you right there is, look, there's going to be challenges in life, but God is guiding you so that you're not totally devastated by it. Watch and walk in his guidance, and you're going to yeah, have some tough times, some, some, some challenging times, but he will never give you more than you can bear. He says, I decided not to take them that route, even though it was quicker, because it wasn't good for them. I'm watching out for their good. I guide and direct for their good and for their protection. Would you realize that when you walk with the Lord, you're walking in the path that he has protected? You say, well, how come if he's protected, I'm having issues and having problems? You're going to have some difficulties. Those difficulties that remind you to, to look to God and trust in him. But he's shielding you from those things that could level you, that could totally destroy you. That's what he did for his people Israel here. Then I want you to notice, it says this, verse 20. Excuse me, verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Atham on the edge of the wilderness. Now we're going to get into that more next week in, in the next chapter. But God was leading them to a path that might seem like it would hem them in. They were walking 
toward the wilderness, and they were headed towards this big body of water. And I'm sure, you know, we, we like to think ahead, right? And, and you, can, you can imagine the kids are saying, hey, um, yeah, we keep walking, but I don't see nothing but water. What are we going to do when we get there? And I would imagine the adults said, I don't know. I would imagine Moses would say, God will show us what we must do when we get there. Another question they would have asked is, well, how come you know, how do you know that we're going in the right path? Ah, this is where God's guidance came. He says, by day he gave them a pillar of cloud and by night a pillar of fire. In other words, he manifested physical direction for them. He says, look, follow my cloud and follow my fire. It's going to show you exactly where to go. And as we read through the Old Testament, we, we see this journey was marked by God would literally take this cloud and march. And then he would stop it and say, here's where I want you to camp. Then he'd go in the next direction, and when he got up, when, he, when a cloud began to lift and moved on, it was time for them to get, to lead, to, 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 to get ready to break camp and move to the next location. They were following the Lord step by step. I would imagine someone would say, well, hey, wait a minute. Um, I know a little bit of something. Canaan is that way. How come we going this way? How come we going this way and detouring? I would imagine Moses would have just said, look, that's where the clouds say go. And that's where we're going. I trust the Lord and his leading. You don't have to understand it all. If you did, you'd be greater or as great as God. I'm not like that. You're not like that. We're called to walk by faith, but it's not a foolish faith. God gives direction, clear direction. He gave it so they see it night or day. They didn't have to question which way to go. They might question why, but that's foolishness, and that's not based on faith. That's thinking they know something a little better than God knows. Now, I know we don't like following directions. You know, I, I love taking rides, and Don and I, I try to use any opportunity to go somewhere, travel locally right around uh, this area. This weekend, I was at the, uh, the Horicon Marsh area and just dri driving through that area, looking at the beautiful uh, uh, scenic uh, uh, change of, of, of trees in, in, in this fall season. And I have GPS, and sometimes you get, I got into an area where, where I didn't get a signal. And I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> GPS can't help me here. <laughs> it's not even showing up now. And sometimes, you know, we, so, so, so I can look, I can see the, the, the sun, I can tell which direction I was going, and I can say, well, I'm just going to keep heading this direction, and eventually, you know, GPS signal will come back, and I'll get some direction. Sometimes we think that we know better than God. When we're following GPS, we, we have the freedom to use our minds and say, wait a minute, they have me going in circles. That don't even make any sense. I'm going this direction. 
But with God, he's showing us step by step which way to go. Don't overthink it. Vow to follow God. What you ought to be asking, Lord, lead me. Give me clear direction and I will follow. Anywhere I will follow. If you tell me to back up, I'm going to back up. If you tell me to go around in a circle, I'm going to go around in a circle. Because this isn't GPS talking. This is God. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to lead. God was leading them on a path away from sure destruction. And he was going to help them face everything they would encounter. And he called them to walk with him by faith. Now, you might be asking a question, and it's a good question. How can I know where God's leading? Well, you need to talk to God. You need to listen to God. That's why we emphasize the word of God. But it's not that hard. God wants his people to know. God wants you to know what direction he has for you. Now, sometimes he gives us challenges. He wants us to think. He wants us to pause. He wants us to reflect. He wants us to consult with each other so that we understand what God is saying. But God still gives us all of that. Sometimes we're, gonna, we're not going to know why we are where we are or what we should do next. But we just pause and cry to God and say, God, I'm not moving until I see your clear direction. But when I see it, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to go. God, give me direction. Have you ever asked for that? If you have, it's an interesting thing to see God gives direction to his people. He gives it through his word. He, so in, in other words, you have the sure word of God that nothing he gives you is going to be in conflict with what he has said in his word. I, I tell you, that settles about 95% for me. Because people say, you ought to do this. I say, Wait a minute, no, that, that, that don't even sound right. Because God's word tells me this. And as he leads, then it's a step by step. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. The old timers explained it, it's just like putting lanterns on your feet. You take a step, you get a little bit more light. Take another step, you get a little bit more light. You don't see the whole path all the time, but you see a little bit as you take that step of obedience. Try it. Trust God. Follow him. The point here is that God was leading his people, and he was protecting them, and they would walk in that protection as long as they walk by faith, obeying what God said. God said, remember this day. Remember this day. Do you remember when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you mark a time when that happened? You may not mark the very day, may, maybe don't know the month and the year, but can you mark that God has intervened in your life and delivered you from sin. He wants you to remember that and never forget it. He wants you to remember that it came by his hand, by his power, not yours or someone else. He has done it, and he wants you to know that he guides you. 
and he's promised to bring you to the promised land. He's promised to do that. Trust him. Walk with him. Ask him to lead and guide you. God will not fail. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word, your clear direction. We thank you for so many things that are represented in this story that we are to be encouraged by. We have a Savior who is our substitute. You gave of your own self, your own son, to be our representative, to pay for our sin. And you say we ought to remember this day forever. We should never get tired. It doesn't get old to remember the work of salvation that you've done in our life and the work that you're doing to guide us and direct us and the fact that you will bring us to that promised land. You said in Philippians 1.6, He who has begun a good work in you will accomplish it until that day of Christ, until Christ returns. We thank you for the confidence that comes from your promises. Lord, if there's one here today who not resting in those promises, not trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior, we pray that you would lead them to that right now as they hear your word, that they might just determine in their mind right now that there's no other way to be right with you except trusting in Jesus. There's no other way to have forgiveness of sins. There's no other way to escape the judgment except trusting in Christ. And for those who are trusting in Christ, Lord, we pray we'll be willing to follow your truth. We'll be challenged to follow it. We'll encourage others to follow it. We'll be examples and testimonies of those who follow you. Strengthen, encourage, and bless your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.